interested, you would like to learn more about what does it look like to be a part of those trips, uh, what, are the, what, is, what is the way, what is the pathway, what are the finances involved, all of that, please join us uh, in the room right behind the sanctuary uh, for, for interest meetings on these three things. Uh, we're really excited to be able to start doing these more and more often. Uh, and the Lord is opening lots of doors. And I think it's very important for us to be engaged in what God is doing all across the globe. Uh, and so we'd love to have you participate in that, at least learn. And so uh, we'd love for that room to be full of people interested in taking the gospel uh, across the world. So please do that after service. Um, the next thing is if you don't have one of these Fill the City booklets, if you didn't get one last week or didn't bring it back with you, uh, we'd love for you to raise your hand. We'd give you one of these. So we're going to use these for notes the next three weeks. So if you don't have one right now and you didn't get one last week, raise your hand and we will bring these to you so that you can have it. I promise, number one, you're going to want it. If you weren't here last week, uh, it was an amazing time. We celebrated God's grace over these last three years. This booklet is a small summary and picture of everything God has been doing over the last three years. Uh, we don't have any confetti or food trucks today, all right? I'm sorry. Uh, but next year, okay, we'll do that again. Uh, but we do have this booklet, all right? And we have the Holy Spirit, and we have a Bible, and it's going to be a great day. So we're very excited about that. But please take this. As we talked about last week, um, don't just glance at it. Pray through it. Give thanks to God for it. Uh, the Lord has done a remarkable amount of things in three years, and we ought to be very, very, very thankful. And then bring this back for the next three weeks. We're taking three weeks to go over our seven core values just to connect what we have done to who we are. This is very important for us to all be on the same page. Uh, something I said often in the very beginning um, is it's not necessarily where we are going, but how we are doing that defines the church. It's not necessarily where we are going. How we are doing will define where we go. Uh, and any of you know that if the, if the right people are in the car, you could go to 7-Eleven or the beach. It doesn't really matter as long as the right people are there, all right? And so this is us getting on the same page. This is us uh, unifying around these same things. So we're going to take uh, these three weeks to walk through seven core values that the church is built off of, uh, which come directly out of the scriptures. And then we'll launch into a, a book of the Bible right after that. I'm excited for that as well. Originally, the plan to take three weeks. So when we launched the church, we took seven weeks, and we did one each week, which I think is appropriate. Uh, and now we're going to do a flyover, which we will probably do every so often, just to always bring us back to our roots in the scriptures uh, we were going to do two, two, and three, but as I was studying, I was convinced uh, one, three, three is the way. So we're going to look at the first core value today, which is that we are all about Jesus. Uh, that one stands alone. And then we're going to look at the next three, and then the next three that kind of work together in packages. Uh, and so if you want the full kind of uh, full message on each one of these, that's on YouTube and podcast. So please listen to that, especially if you're newish uh, and you haven't really gotten to know what we're all about yet. Uh, those are on, on YouTube that will define our values for you. Today, like I said, I'm going to spend the next three weeks kind of summarizing all of these things. Uh, so this is important for us to be on the same page so that we can move forward together. So that's one purpose. Why are we doing this, Nate? Well, it's so that we have alignment so that we're on the same page, so that we understand each other, so that we understand what we're trying to do, so that we understand what we're doing, uh, and we understand the biblical motivation and reason for that. Uh, that's very important. The second thing that's very important about this next three weeks is that these seven values are not so that we can be good city light people, but so that we can be good Jesus people. Okay? It's not the point. The point is not to make you a city light disciple. Who cares? The point is to make you a disciple of Jesus. 
These things don't come out of our minds. They come directly from the scriptures. So these are seven values of city light, but most importantly, there are seven pathways of obedience to Jesus. When we look at the scriptures, we felt like these seven things summarized the general teaching of the scriptures. They put it in big buckets for us. And so the goal is certainly for us to align together to understand what we're trying to do as a church and why we're trying to do it. But most importantly, these are pathways of obedience. These are not necessarily the values of city life, but the values of Jesus. And we're trying to align ourselves and our church and our life with the values of Jesus himself. Uh, and so we'd love to be on the same page, but the most important thing is you're not trying to become a city light disciple, but a disciple of Jesus. And that's what we're here to do together. And so we're going to look at the scriptures for that. So the first scripture we're going to look at today comes from Colossians 1. Go ahead and open your Bible to Colossians 1. All right. All right. Praise the Lord. The first core value of city light and of God is that we are all about Jesus. We're all about Jesus. Now, the whole Bible is technically about Jesus. Everything looks to or back on Jesus. He is the center point, the crux of the entire scriptures. We should understand all scriptures in light of Jesus. Uh, so we could go anywhere. Um, but I felt like the Lord led us to Colossians 1. So we're going to look at that. Uh, and we're excited about what God's going to say through his word today. So starting in verse 15, we're going to read the next eight verses. It says this about Jesus. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. He is before all things. In him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you, who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, praise the Lord for this, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. And so the phrase that stands out here that really describes being all about Jesus is what we see in verse 19, that in everything he might be preeminent. That's the scripture's way of saying this. We are all about Jesus. That Jesus is the most important person. And Jesus is the most important thing. He is above all things. He is even above all good things. We love him more than anything. Or at least we're trying to grow into that. We prioritize him more than anything. We live for him more than anything. We honor him more than anything. He doesn't compete with anyone or anything in our hearts. There is no ties, like in the NFL, with Jesus and something else, all right? Nothing comes close to who he is. He alone is exalted. He is not one of many or a great option to choose. He is one of one. He is the only savior of the world. This is Jesus. We are followers of Jesus. 
Then you say, well, that's obvious, it's a church. Well, I'm here as a pastor to tell you the obvious, all right? That's all I'm here to do, right? I'm here to constantly get in front of you and tell you the obvious. We're followers of Jesus. We don't get together to follow political parties. We're not here to do that. We don't get together to follow ministry philosophies or a way to do things. We're not here to do that. We don't get here to follow even other leaders, no matter how good they might be. We are followers of Jesus. He is the lead and the shepherd of this church. We all, including myself and every leader here, comes under the leadership of Jesus. He is the shepherd. He is our God. He is our leader and our savior. This is important because we are unified on this so that our differences do not divide us. If we are truly, not just in words but in action, all about Jesus, then we can come from a variety of backgrounds, a variety of political perspectives, a variety of cultural upbringings, and a variety of languages, and we can all unify around this one thing and work out our differences with unity and love because we're here to be all about Jesus. And Jesus is the Savior of the world, of all tribes, all peoples, all languages, all places, all political parties. Jesus is the Savior of the world, of all peoples. It's very important to hold on to this because it is easy to have mission drift and to begin to become about other things. This is what happens in organizations and businesses. This can happen in churches that you can, you can become about good things and you can become about helping and all these different things that might be good. And you can get involved in aspects of social work that are good, which we do, which we celebrated last week a bazillion times over. We do all of these kinds of things. But our priority is always the person and work of Jesus Christ. He is the foundation, the cornerstone upon which the church and this church is built. Three years ago, the way that we said this was that Jesus is our priority and our message. We love him above all. He is our priority and he is our message. The only thing we really have to communicate with anyone is the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Everything else falls secondary to that. Jesus is our message. We're not sitting here fighting about other doctrinal truths. We're not sitting here worried and fighting about all these things. We are center-focused on the message of the gospel in Jesus Christ, and everything else falls under and within that uh, together. This is very important for us. This is true today, uh, but that message already exists, and so I want you to listen to that if you need to. I wanted to give us another fresh way to think about this wonderful truth that we are all about Jesus uh, and it's this. This is the idea of, of our time together. It's from you for you to write down. It's that his presence is our point of reference. His presence is our point of reference. Now, a point of reference, technically, in the dictionary, is something that is used to judge or understand something else. A point of reference is something you use to judge or understand something else. Uh, it's what you use when you take your kids to the beach and you say, we are at this lifeguard stand. If you're in the water and you don't see this lifeguard stand, you have drifted away. You are no longer near where you are supposed to be. That lifeguard stand is your point of reference. It is the, the point at which you understand your relation to me and your relation to where you are supposed to be. Same is true if you're trying to build something and you cut your first piece of wood, you do it just right, that piece of wood becomes your point of reference for all the other pieces of wood. You cut in standard to that particular piece. It is the point of reference. You have a million different times in life you think about or talk about a point of reference. Well, his presence is our point of reference, which means we understand everything in relation to Jesus. He is our center point, our anchor. We understand marriage in relation to Jesus. We understand our work and our vocations in relation to Jesus. We understand the world and what's going on around us by its relation to Jesus. We understand our identity, our purpose, and our worth by its relationship to 
Jesus. His presence is our point of reference for how we even use the building. We understand this physical space as a point of re- Jesus is our point of reference for how do we use this place. He's our point of reference for when we gather. What do we do? We say this all the time. We come for him, not for them. We're here to worship and minister unto the Lord. And when we get ministered to by him, that's a secondary byproduct of us coming to worship him. We come for him, not for them. He is our point of reference for our gatherings. He is our point of references for our lighthouses. He is our point of reference for our outreaches and anything we do to serve our community. His presence is our point of reference. And every single detail about this church and about your life should be understood in relationship to him. That's how important Jesus is. That's what it means practically for God to be preeminent in your life. He's your point of reference. Now, I want to show you four different ways Colossians kind of teaches us that Jesus is our point of reference. What are four categories of life that Jesus becomes the point of reference for? The first is this. His presence is our point of reference for knowing God. Colossians 1.15, he says here, he, being Jesus, is the image of the invisible God. Hebrews 1 says it this way, long ago and in many ways God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, that's the Old Testament, but in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Jesus is our point of reference for knowing God. And those of you who maybe have grown up in church or have these truths presented to you maybe take this for granted that apart from Jesus, we do not have the revelation we need about who God is. If Jesus did not come, we would not only have salvation, we wouldn't even have the revelation that we need to know who God is really is. Jesus is God in the flesh. Jesus is the fullest revelation of who God is. He makes something invisible, visible, tangible to us. This is not only important to us, but theologically, this is the separator between Christianity and all other religions and gods. Jesus. Jesus is the separator. Jesus is the difference maker. Jesus makes the distinguishing mark. When somebody says, well, all roads lead to God, Jesus is the one that stands in the way and says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man shall enter in, no man shall come to the Father except by me. It's Jesus' own words. And so now Jesus doesn't fit in the all roads lead to God category anymore. He makes a distinguishing mark. And he says, I am the way. Jesus is the distinguishing mark. He is the only God who has come down to us and taken on human flesh. Every other former idea of God exists as a pie in the sky who has not a personal relationship to this degree with his people. Jesus is the separator of all religions and all other gods. Jesus is the revelation of who God is. If we want to know what God is like, we have the person and work of Jesus Christ. This is how we know. This is how we know. This is important because there's lots of other ways, too. You see what God is like from creation. You can see what God is like in these things. But the fullest and most clear revelation is Jesus. Not only is Jesus the center point of that, uh, but Jesus is the access point. He's the way in which we understand and fellowship with the Trinity. So theologically, right, Christian thought, God is one, three in one. You have Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, right? 
Now, when we engage with Jesus, when we learn more about Jesus, we're actually entering into fellowship with the full trinity. So if you want to know what it's like to maximize your experience of God, you need to maximize your access and your fellowship with the whole trinity. And Jesus is the point at which that happens. Let me tell you, John 14, 9, Jesus says, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. So Philip asked him, well, can you show us the Father? And Jesus says, if you've seen me, every word you've heard from me came from the Father. Everything you've seen me do, the Father was doing. Every bit of information you have from me is information you have about the Father. If you've seen me, loved me, engaged with me, related to me, then you have seen, loved, and related to the Father. Not only is that true, but the other piece of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, John 15, 26, when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, we say this is so important, he will bear witness about me. So the Holy Spirit's main concern is to bear witness about Jesus. And if you see Jesus, then you've seen the Father. If you want to know what the Father is like, the invisible Spirit Father, then you need to look at Jesus. If you want to know what it's like to be full of the Holy Spirit, if you want to learn more about the Holy Spirit, then you need to pursue Jesus because the Holy Spirit comes and he bears witness to Jesus. So if I'm bearing witness to Jesus, I am joining in the work of the Holy Spirit, which means I have fellowship with him. And if I look to Jesus and learn more about Jesus, if I see him, I see the Father. Now I have fellowship with him. Through Jesus, I enter into the love story that's been happening for all of eternity as the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Perfectly happy, perfectly in love, perfectly unified, and I enter into this divine story. You see how sometimes it's just too much for our brains to comprehend, but I want you to take a second and think about the fact that God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit have been in perfect community without lack, without need. God did not make humans because he needed them. No, 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 no. We are not the prize of his heart. No, 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 no. He didn't, no, no gap was filled when humans came into existence. Just a problem was created. And then God came and he saved us, you know. And we are wonderfully made and we are beautiful in his image. We are wonderful because of our relation to him, because we are made in his image. But God was perfectly happy. God the Son, God the Spirit, God the, God the Father, together in unison with one another. And when you now engage with the person of Jesus Christ, you enter into that fellowship, which is like your human desire to be in that meeting of all the big shots that you're not in yet, you know? It's like the human desire to be in the clique that feels cool. It's like your human desire to be a part of something that feels significant, that looks fun, that looks like it would be lovely. You know that desire deep within your heart. You experience it every day. That's why cliques are formed, and that's why you feel out of the loop sometimes, and that's why you feel jealous. It's because you want to be a part of something that looks wonderful. And I want you to take that desire that has been distorted by sin, and the Lord wants to redeem it and say, man, the greatest fellowship, the greatest meeting, the greatest, uh, the greatest meeting of minds, the greatest meeting of persons you could ever engage with when you walk into the room is the fellowship of the Trinity. You want to feel important like you have significant and worth? Why don't you fellowship with the Trinity? You want to feel like you matter, like your life is important? Well, instead of trying to make that meeting at work, why don't you fellowship with the Trinity? If you want to feel like you have, you have connections in high places, if you want to feel like your life has significance and worth, if you want to feel like you're making a difference instead of all your other means the world is putting in front of you, why don't you try fellowshipping with the Trinity? 
this is what Jesus puts you into, is the family of God. And as I engage with Jesus Christ, I fellowship with the Holy Spirit and the Father, and I enter into the coolest party and the most significant meeting and the greatest love and the most smart meeting of minds and the most important meeting ever happening in the history of the world. I enter into that place, that secret place, that wonderful place through Jesus. And the reason why you get so jealous and you have such a hard time and you want to be a part of this and that, I believe, is because we simply are not fellowshipping with the Trinity like we should. You want to be important because you're not entering into the most important meeting in the history of the world. So you lack that in your heart. You want to have significance, but you're not getting it from Jesus. You want affirmation, but you're not doing it in the presence of God. You want all of these different things, and you're not getting it from where you're supposed to get it. So you try to find fellowship at work. You try to find fellowship within this particular group. You try to find fellowship at that golf club. You try to find fellowship, anything to make you feel significant or a group of people that adds value to your life. And the reason why you're seeking for that is because you're not fellowshipping with the Trinity. The way you realize your significance and value you have in life is to enter into this eternal meeting, God the Son, God the Spirit, and God the Father. You see this big truth, but then it brings it down to your life. How do you deal with jealousy? You fellowship with the Trinity. How do you deal with discontentment? Fellowship with the Trinity. How do you deal with ambition that's not holy? Fellowship with the Trinity. How do you, feel, how do you deal with loneliness? Is fellowship with the Trinity. And Jesus is your access point into that. It's very important for us to understand. He, his presence is our point of reference for knowing God. All right, the second thing is his presence is our point of reference for creation. Colossians 1, 16 through 17, For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things, all things were created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. I think probably the most important significant phrase here is that all things were created through and for him. The research of a scientist, as helpful as it can be, is not your point of reference for understanding creation. We understand creation by means of understanding Jesus Christ. He made it, and it is held within him. The more I fellowship with him, the more I have understanding of how these things work. He is the one who holds the whole earth together. So a scientist or all those things, as helpful as they may be, and we learn lots of wonderful things. I'm not dismissing that at all. I'm just simply saying it's not your point of reference for creation. It's Jesus. Not only is that true, but the world's favorite things and the world's most important causes are also not your point of reference for your purpose. They're not your point of reference. But that's what you use, right? The standard by which you judge, the usefulness and purpose of your life, is how it matches up with the world's favorite causes. The standard by which you judge your life is how it matches up with what the world thinks is most important. And then you get sad and lonely and angry and depressed because your standard is not the standard God has given you. The standard by which you understand your purpose, your point of reference has to be Jesus. You were made for him. As a matter of fact, your very life 
is upheld by his existence. In him, all things hold together. You are breathing right now simply because he wants you to be breathing. And the moment he wanted that not to happen anymore, it would be done. You live because he lives, and that's it. He upholds you. Every morning you wake up, say, man, thank you, Lord, you're upholding me. When you go to bed, think you upheld me today. You take your existence for granted. It says everything is upheld within him. You live and breathe through him. Not only is that true technically, but now you are made for him. And not just to live for him like as a servant, which is true in, in many ways, but Jesus in John 15 says, I no longer call you servants, but I call you friends. And not only that, we learn we cry, Abba, Father, by the Spirit. We were made to live for him in relationship to him as family. This is why we talk so much about pursuing his presence. It's because you were made to relate to him. He is a person, not a force, not an idea, not a religion, not a feeling. And we pursue his presence because we were made to know him. We were made to engage with the person and the work of Jesus Christ. This is how we establish our purpose. And to the degree that this happens, we understand our life. Let me give you, I think this is so important, so I'm going to give you two different analogies, both two sides of it. The first is, is how we live for things that we're, we're not made for. The second is what does it look like to live for something that we're made for. So uh, the first is when I took my kids to, to Disneyland, I think he's here right now, Jude, um, we were doing all these rides, and I was back there, and, you know, anybody who says I ain't got no administrative skills, when I asked my wife, I was wheeling and dealing on that Disneyland app, all right? I was scheduling everything, you know? I was organizing the time slots. We go here, we go here. This is how we eat, okay? I put all my administrative pants on, and uh, I wore them all out. I don't have any left, okay? So those are the two days that I had to put my, my, my administrative pants on, and I used them well, and now I don't have them anymore, okay? So... Uh, but I was, I was wheeling and dealing, all right? I was making all this stuff happen, and you'd have to read the fine print and ages and rides. You know, I have 13, 10, 7, 6, 5, 3. So those are the ages of my kids, so lots of different ride availabilities, lengths and heights and all these different things. So you're just trying to match it all up, and you go here and you go there, and nobody get lost. We'd like to go home with all of you. That would be great. And so you're just doing all that, and this was the last ride, okay? At the end of it all, there was this, uh, this ride. I forget what it was called. I don't know. It was like um, the Guardians of the Galaxy ride at Disneyland, all right? So uh, it looked like this, this like 3D you know, thing where you sit in a seat and you kind of bump around and ride. I don't know, oh, that's fun. So the kids will like that. Uh, and so I sent, obviously the oldest wanted to go, uh, but Jude, he's five years old. He also wanted to go. And when I was reading it first, I said, okay, that's fine. So we sent him in there. Uh, the, height, the height thing was fine. Well, uh, when they get in there, I didn't go in this. I stayed back with the other girls, which I'm so thankful for. Okay, I don't like rides like this, so this worked out for me. Uh, so they're walking through, and my wife told me, like, this is really strange. There's no kids his age, not even close in here, you know. It's really dark. I don't know if this is going to work out very good. You know, like, all the kids are 13 years old and above, all right. He's five. I mean, he's five. So he's in there, and uh, they're, they're feeling suspicious. She's texting me, and I'm like, oh, well, let's see how this goes. So they get in there, and the ride, you sit in your little seat, and then the ride goes straight up 40 feet in the air. And unbeknownst to them, in about 10 seconds, they went 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1, shoot, and they just dropped all the way to the ground, all right? 
and then it went back up, and they just dropped all the way to the ground again. Then it went back up, and they just dropped all the way to the ground again. Went back up, dropped. They did this, okay, 10 times, I think was the number, 10 times. And they did this over and over again. The little, little five-year-old kid is in there like, ah! You know, he's just... He's definitely going to die. I mean, he thinks he's going to die. There's just no doubt about it. Not to mention all the guardians of the galaxies. People are shooting everybody. You know, like he's just in this death trap. We're just throwing him into this death trap, and he's stuck forever, uh, which I'm glad, man, I would have died on that ride too. I don't, I don't vibe with those height drops. That's not me, all right? I'm not that kind of dude. So uh, my wife is way more courageous than me with that stuff. So she's in there doing that. He comes out of there, you know, props to my man. He's tough. He made it through. Okay, I don't, we will find out at a counselor when he's 25 that that was some trauma <laughs> that he had to endure, and his parents are stupid. But uh, the, the basic idea of that ride is it wasn't made for him. It wasn't made for him. It didn't fit his season of life. It was not helpful to his personal growth. It wasn't made for him, so the experience did not go well. And let me tell you, that's when you put your purpose in everything else in life. It's simply not made for you. That relationship wasn't made to satisfy the deepest feelings of your heart. That's why it's a disaster when you try to make it complete you. It's not made for you. That work promotion, the success and the ambition, no matter how high you make it, no matter how great it gets, it wasn't made to fulfill your purpose in life. That's why it's such a disaster when you give your whole life to it. It wasn't made. That's what every celebrity experiences throughout all the earth is you weren't made for all these worldly pleasures no matter how much you get, no matter how many relationships and flings and power and money and success and fame you have. It simply doesn't do the trick. It's because you were not made for it. And when you give yourself to it, it ends up in a complete and total disaster. Jesus is the standard by which you understand your purpose. What are you made for? What a question that you need to answer. What am I made for? What am I here for? Well, it's not to make as much money as you can and to have as much pleasure and fun as you can. You're here for the purpose of knowing, loving, serving Jesus Christ. And when you enter into that purpose, you find the fulfillment you are looking for your whole life. Because it's what you were made for. So this is the other side of that. We, I went to Nashville this summer for my sister Liz with her uh, kids and husband. And we were visiting them. And they had a pool and a hot tub in their backyard, right? So it was like an Airbnb, you know? It's like, wow, this is, this is nice. You live like this every day? Okay, so we were there uh, for a whole week. And you know where my kids went in Nashville? Nowhere, nowhere. You know what they did? Literally from morning till dawn every day. They swam in the pool, jumped in the hot tub. Swam in the pool, jumped in the hot tub. Ate some lunch, swam in the pool, jumped in the hot tub. Swam in the pool, jumped in the hot tub. Got a shaved ice, swam in the pool, jumped in the hot tub. Ate dinner, swam in the pool, jumped in the hot tub. Got a shower, went to bed. That was literally every day. My wife's like, shouldn't we go somewhere in Nashville? I'm like, man, I lived here for like five years. I don't need, there's nothing for me to see, but uh, it's cool, you know. And I was like, the kids are happy, you know, what are we going to do? So uh, we ended up going nowhere. The reason was, right, because they finally found something that they were looking for and they didn't want to go anywhere else. This is the idea that comes when you enter into this relationship with Jesus and when you actually live consciously connected to him is that all the other temptations of the world begin to fade away. I don't want to go anywhere else. I'm happy where I I am with him that's how it works because your relationship to him becomes so strong and it's because what you were made for is what your heart really wants even if you don't know it as soon as you enter into that all the other offers of the world begin to fade away you say I don't want any of that no matter how good it looks I have found everything I was looking for 
that's the power of knowing and loving Jesus. You are made for him, to walk with him, to speak with him, to hear from him, to be in relationship to him, and to spend eternity in his presence. The third thing, his presence is our point of reference for the church. What is the church all about? Who leads the church? Colossians 1.18 makes this simple. He is the head of the body, the church. So we are the body, he is the head, which means the church lives by its relationship to him. The church dies when it is no longer consciously related to the head. When it's related to a cause or a leader or any other mission, you are not, the church is not made to be the Red Cross of the world. The church certainly has a serving component to it, but we are made to be in relationship to him. And in our relationship to him, we have power to go serve the world. But if we're not connected to him, being nourished by him, then everything we, else do, everything we try to do will fade away. We'll lack the power and the energy because we are made as a church to be consciously connected to the head. He is the leader of our church. He is the God and the shepherd. He is the head. We are nourished by him. We are taken care of by him. And let me, let me tell you this. The more connected we are to him, the more effective we will be in the world. This is why we always, okay, this is very important, and I will say this to my dying day, that the way you make a difference in the world is first not to prioritize making a difference in the world, but to prioritize the presence of Jesus. John 15, 4, if you abide in me, you will bear much fruit. And this is backwards because we think, let's go get it. Let's go. And this is me all the time. I want to go help. I want to go make a difference. But it's going to have a, it's going to be very lame and weak if we're not connected to the head. He is the head of the body, the church. We ought to be nourished by him. The more connected we are, the more effective we will be. And since we are a body and you are different parts and I am different parts and we're arms and we're, we're feet and we're toes and we're all these different parts. You know, this is the Bible's illustration of the church is that we're a body. Well, because this is true, not only if we are more connected, the more effective we will be, but because your life matters to the well-being of this church, the more connected you are, the more effective we will be. And I just cannot say that enough, especially in this church culture where we think, well, if somebody can preach good enough, if somebody's the band, if these basic things can be good enough, then everything's going to work out. And that is a lie. That's not how it works. The more connected you are, the more effective we will be. Because I'm just a finger, and you're just a muscle, and you're just a foot. And I can't do much with just a finger, no matter how good that sermon might be. It's just a finger, okay? There's not much you can do with this. You can poke somebody, but it's not going to get. You see what I'm saying? It's not, the band's just a few feet, you know? And however good the worship is, it might look good, it might feel good, and all that stuff to some people. But it's not going to make the difference it needs to make. We are a body, and the more connected you are to the head, the more power that will be driving to your life, and the more effective you will be in your life, which will make our church more effective. And I just know that some of you don't believe that in the bottom of your heart, and I'm just going to keep hammering that home for all the time. You matter here. Your position matters here. The things you are doing matters here. The sin you are fighting matters here. The way you participate on Sunday matters here. Whether you go to a lighthouse or not matters here. Your engagement in our city matters here. The well-being of your life matters. The holiness of your life matters. Your connection to Jesus matters because you and I collectively are the ceiling of what God wants to do. And if we will align our hearts with his purposes and all of us will engage in what he's doing and love him and spend time with him, you would be so amazed at how effective we will be as a church. Your life matters and if you are connected to the head, you will be effective in the world. Your time with God matters. Your relationship to God matters. 
You fighting that sin matters. It matters. And it matters for me. And it matters for each one of these people. And my behavior matters for you. And all of our behavior matters for each other. Jesus is the head. My question is, are you being nourished by your connection to the head? Or are you trying to live this life headless? Think about how foolish it would be to walk around. No wonder you're running into the walls. You don't have a head. No wonder you can't think clearly and you're always in a fog. You don't have a head. No wonder you don't know where you should go. You don't have a head. Are you connected to the head or are you trying to live this life headless? Maybe the majority of your difficulties now could simply be explained by your lack of connection to the head. Because without the head, nothing else works. He is the head of the body of the church. Jesus Christ is the shepherd, the leader, the boss, the master, all the things here. And we all under his care and leadership. The final one is this. His presence is our point of reference for salvation. Colossians 1.20. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on heaven or on, or whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. Jesus says he is the way, the truth, and the life. How did, it's the blood of the cross that makes peace between God and man. Your primary issue is not any of the problems you think they are. Your primary issue is the fact that you, because of sin, are an enemy to God, and your whole life is headed towards separation from God forever. That's the main problem of the human race. And Jesus Christ steps in, and he makes peace between you and the Father by the shedding of his blood on the cross. Jesus Christ is the bridge from death to life, from darkness to light, from hatred to love, from sin to holiness, from slavery to freedom, from judgment to mercy, from condemnation to forgiveness, from hell to heaven. Jesus Christ and him alone is our point of reference for salvation. He is our point of reference for understanding sin. He is our point of reference for understanding real holiness because he lived a perfect life. He is our point of reference for understanding the resurrection because he rose from the dead. People saw him. They interacted with him. We get an idea of what that's like from him. He is our point of reference for salvation. Without Jesus, nothing makes sense. And the other three things we talked about today will not be experienced by you unless you first and foremost receive him as your savior. So if you're here today, that is your step. God wants to make peace with you. I want to give you one final example to give you an understanding of this. Uh, one time I had this gift to go to a hotel or whatever, and I had a confirmation number, you know, it's on the email. Uh, I show up at the hotel, I'm like, yo, I have a confirmation number for this. And they're like, we don't see that. And they say, crew, blah, 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 we don't see that. Well, here's my confirmation number. And then they look at my email thing, and they're like, sir, this is the wrong hotel. And I think, I'm a surreal dummy. You know, I'm... I, I said, okay, well, my, I was mad at them. And I was like, my bad. <laughs> you know, it's like one of those, you got something wrong. And they're like, no, sir, you got something wrong. Uh, you're like, excuse me while I walk out of here uh, embarrassed and ashamed. And, and, and so I ended up finding the right hotel, and it worked. But I want you to understand that this is how this works. This is what it means for Jesus Christ to be the reference point of your salvation, is that the confirmation number is the thing you're bringing. It's your questions about life. It's the, the things you want, forgiveness, peace, restoration, eternal life, joy. You're bringing all these things, and you're going up to all these different places, but they keep saying, sir, it's not the right place. 
because Jesus is the reference, the point of reference for your salvation. So you're taking all of these questions and desires, and you're showing up to a boyfriend's house, you're showing up to work, you're showing up to a computer, you're bringing all of these things to another religion, you're asking Muhammad, you're showing up, and they keep saying, sir, it's not the right place, sir, it's not the right place, sir, it's not the right place. Sir, you're not going to get that joy here. You're definitely not going to get that forgiveness here. You're not going to get that peace here. You're not going to have eternal life here, sir. And that is why God brought you here today to bring you to the right place and bring your questions and your desire for forgiveness and the things you need. Bring them straight to Jesus because he is the point of reference for your salvation. And if you're here today, he wants to give you a room in his house if you would simply believe and trust him. So let's pray, and I want, you to give you, I want to give you an opportunity to respond to the Lord. Heavenly Father, we love you, and we ask now, we ask now, we ask now, Lord, we plead with you for the revelation of Jesus Christ by the work of the Spirit. Holy Spirit, would you bear witness to Jesus now? If you're in the room right now, and you know you need to show up to the right place, that you need to ask Jesus for the things you've been asking everyone else, would you do that in your seat with him? Repentance is saying, I turn from these other things and I trust in Jesus alone. And all of us, would we consider, is Jesus the point of reference for my life? Is he a standard by which I live? I want you to take just a few seconds and respond to the Lord. come to you now fix our attention on you thank you for what you've done for us I pray that would be received by every single person in this room and watching online I pray that you would be the heartbeat of this church that your presence would be our pursuit that the gospel would be our message keep us anchored Lord in you and who you are we love you so much. Thank you that you first loved us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Why don't you stand now and let's respond to the Lord now.